0: Okay, so for those who were kind of hearing us before, um, welcome back. (laughs) And for those who are just now coming in or hopefully haven't gone away for the morning because of the confusion, uh, we'll start our show again. And and again, I want to thank Tom Ruby and Dave Lemure for joining me today. We have a really interesting uh, topic today. And it's one that, as I told you guys when, when we were having difficulty before, Tom and Dave, it's one that's so important to surveying um, just because of our nature, of the way we look at things and how much history means to us and how much um, what's represented by the work, day that you did uh, um, with relation to what uh, Johnny Hughes was or Hayes was doing. Um, that I think that sort of exemplifies what surveying is all about, just helping other people and and helping people better understand land and land use. And um, I always say that that land is probably somewhere in the top three or four things that people hold dear. Uh, People hang on to their religion and their families, obviously, probably as much more than anything. But certainly uh, land is an important thing, whether it's the way we use it or whether we own it or whatever the case may be. So uh, as you had said, Dave, that kinship that we have in the surveying profession uh, is one that we are glad to hear inspires someone with with your background and your talents. We, uh, I don't know, Tom, sometimes I'm not sure our clients maybe um, have that same respect for us that Dave does, but, but anyway, David, if you might want to chat a little bit about your thoughts on that again just in case people missed it.
1: Great, Kurt. So uh, w- what we're talking about is an eight-and-a-half-foot bronze sculpture of a man named Johnny Hayes, and he set a mark in southern Idaho in 1904, and I was honored to um, create a sculpture, um, initially a maquette, a smaller version, a study, and then a larger version that went um, about a block away from where he set his mark in 1904, and through that relationship and the relationship of surveyors uh, like Tom Ruby, I was able to glean this incredible notion of, of what you guys are about and what the kinship is about. And for me, surveyors are synonymous with home, heart, place, trust. So th- those are things that... Um, like you said, Kirk, are, are, are really important, and the trust of knowing where our home is is phenomenal. And and so I, I see this from a little different perspective, uh, and I, I I had the the latitude and honor to be able to view this from an artist's eyes, which um, was a great combination. And I've got a little story on that if we have time. But yeah. That, so that that's a that's a start to to um, where I stand right now with this, with this wonderful project that I got to do in
0: Southern Idaho. Well, as far as time is concerned, uh, this show is about the the work you've done and and what it means to the people. And so, anytime you want to share that story, we can do that right now if you like. Before we get caught up somewhere else and forget to come back to it.
1: Okay, here we go. A surveyor and an artist go camping, and they set up their tent, go to sleep, and in the middle of the night, the surveyor wakes up the artist and says, what do you see? And uh, the the, the uh, artist says, well, I see a vast universe of stars that is endless, and I feel at one, even though it's so endless and vast, I, I still feel one in the universe. And I also see that from... Uh, meteorological standpoint, it's going to be a clear day and a wonderful vision of tomorrow because the stars don't have any clouds around them. And from a chronological standpoint, Orion looks like it's about ten minutes past three. And uh the artist says to the surveyor, What do you see? And the surveyor says, You dumbass, somebody stole our tent. <laughs> so <laughs> so <laughs> The reason I tell that story is for perspective and I get the perspective of uh, the bigger picture and and uh, uh, a wider view and uh, you guys narrow it down to our mark our home our tent and and pay attention to that which is maybe more important than the wider view uh, because um, we we need our home in our tent, in our place, and, and knowing where that is. And, and then I got to go and look outside of that and see what it really meant and see the the dream and the fantasy that uh, a surveyor creates. And I've had individuals say those two are not synonymous, and, and I understand why, um, because you have to be certain. But uh, I believe that it goes beyond that certainty into this incredible Vision of uh, a, a unknown territory that can 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 be a, an incredible dream and fantasy.
0: That sounds true. And we need to go to our first break so we get back on track. So let's go do that, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Great. I think we're live Kurt, again.
2: Can you, um, Kurt, can you hear me? To count them. Kurt.
0: I do. Okay, and we're back on with Tom Ruby and Dave Lemire today talking about uh, A Vision of Tomorrow, um, a project in which they were both very uh, involved, of course. And I'm, I'm curious about how this all came about. Um, Dave, was this something that you got Contacted about um, before Tom knew anything about it, or Tom was this something that was a local thing that people really wanted to do? Or I'm just curious about how the whole thing evolved.
3: Um, Well, there it's it's a very interesting story. So, as Dave alluded to earlier, um, John Hayes uh, was responsible for surveying almost all of the entire. Uh, Magic Valley, which is a community uh, of a couple, a uh, couple hundred thousand people now, um, and it didn't exist until they built the canal systems in order to irrigate what is a high mountain desert. And once the water was available, then the town started coming. And the the centerpiece of the project was the town of Twin Falls. And uh, when Johnny Hayes. Um, surveyed the town, uh, he started at the intersection of Main and Shoshone streets, and they took a picture of him set up with his transit and the intersection of Main and Shoshone when he started the survey, and in the picture, it's nothing but a, you know, a man has transit, a white flag, and a sea of sagebrush in um, what is now a town of over 50,000 people, um, and that picture ended up on the cover of a book that a gentleman wrote, um, uh, Niels spahr uh and the, and the book is called um, A Forest of Wormwood, which Wormwood was the European name for sagebrush. Um, and that book is the history of the Twin Falls Canal Company, which is basically a history of the entire Magic Valley. And some gentlemen in town um, uh, who are retired uh, judge and a retired attorney And banker Um, they're now uh, philanthropists that uh, are on the board of charitable foundations and they got the book and read the book and fell in love with the book so then they commissioned a local artist to paint an oil painting of the picture that was on the um, front of the book and then they decided that wasn't enough so then they they contacted Dave and had the small maquette made. And they so fell in love with it that that's when they decided they had to go full size and they started working with the city, um, trying to site it. And uh, the the gentleman really wanted it to be in the same location. However, that is a state highway. Um, so that wasn't allowed and they moved it a block away and right in front of city hall in a uh, downtown commons area where there's a splash pad and a bandstand and, and such. And uh, I got involved with it uh, about a year ago when Dave was looking for someone to look at the piece in clay and give him technical feedback.
0: I see. So um, you were talking about the, the the size and everything. David, is is this a is the the sculpture a, to scale of the size of Hayes and everything, or or is it a different different scale? It is,
1: to, it, it is to scale of him. It is larger than life, so it is 1.32% uh, larger than Johnny Hayes was. He was a man of about 5'10". And so I took that and enlarged it uh, about a third larger than life size in order to fit... Um, the park and the area that it was placed. So it was placed right in front of a new city hall in Twin Falls. And um, it it came to be, oh, it's been three and a half years of a journey to get to this point. The the initial spark or concept happened with these two gentlemen reading the book and seeing the image on the cover, like Tom was saying. And um, I had a gentleman ask me, about the if I'd seen that image and I said yeah that's a phenomenal image and uh, just uh, I had all kinds of different concepts from an artistic standpoint looking at it and seeing this man in a sea of sagebrush. and initially as a sculptor looking at it um, it, it was a triangle uh, so the whole image in and of itself with uh, the surveyor, his instrument, and the ground was a triangle. And uh, and then there's many triangles throughout the piece. So just that in and of itself, being a surveyor and the triangle, and that geometric form, and how important that is to surveyors, it has become more and more fascinating to me. And um, so the triangle is made up of three, and, and in this case, it is the man, the instrument, and the ground he stands on, which is just a fascinating thing that, that there are three there, and it is a triangle. But anyway, so I, I was seeing some of this when I saw the image. I was commissioned to do a maquette, which is, is 5.8 uh, times smaller than the version that is out in front of City Hall right now. And that was about a year-long process, or maybe a little bit longer. We weren't sure if we were going to move to a larger um, sculpture, and we wanted to place it right where John was in 1904, but um, surveyors said that was impossible (laughs) because it was a state highway and, and just no way. So. So we looked at different options, and, and I think it turned out to be in the best place possible. It's a, a water park. It's in front of City Hall. It's a, it's a place where people just gathered the other night for a, a, a Christmas celebration of lights, and there were hundreds of people out there. And uh, so anyway, but I, I worked on that first initial uh, smaller version maquette, to determine whether it was actually going to work in three dimension, because a lot of times an image, uh, a two dimensional image, doesn't really work out as a sculptural image. But it was fascinating to to see that and to to feel that sculpture in three dimension of this guy looking out in in a vast plain of sagebrush and and uh, that the, what was he envisioning and what was his vision and that was a lot of the spark around the, the feeling of, of surveyors for me and um so the, so that's how it, it came to be when they saw the maquette they weren't sure if they they didn't know if they were going to have me do a larger sculpture but then they saw the maquette and they went ah crap it, It's really nice, so I think we've got to go larger. So we went into an area of um, uncharted waters, so to speak, and we we weren't sure where we were going. We just knew we were going. Uh, The the two gentlemen that were supporting the project, and they raised uh, the funds to to, uh, uh,
0: finance the larger piece. So did Uh, I understand that? The original location you guys were talking about—you um, were talking about the location where he was standing when when the photo or whatever it was of him was was taken. And did I read correctly that that was in the middle of a, a road, or what turned out to be a road intersection?
3: Yeah, it's at the corner of Maine and Shoshone, which is a yeah. state highway. So the only way you could have uh, placed it in that location would be would have been to have put in a roundabout,
0: which would yeah, have taken out
3: that. four. Yeah, would have taken out four historical buildings to do it. So it was yeah. just a non-starter. But it's it's interesting to note, and it hasn't been mentioned yet. Uh, and this was part of the contract that the two gentlemen prepared with the city was that the the piece was to have an unobstructed view of that original location where the photograph was taken. And, in fact, it is um, set up now with an unobstructed view of that location, and they even had to change the plans on the downtown revitalization project to remove some trees and stuff to ensure that his view would remain unobstructed.
0: Wow, everything you're talking about to me just is sort of amazing, uh, all of the considerations that went into this. You know, it wasn't like... Um, you know, one of those hold my beer and watch this kind of thing, you know. Was, it was just, it was uh, really well thought out and and a lot of time and energy apparently went into capturing the entire essence of what you were trying to do. Um, sure. It's, it's just amazing to me. We haven't covered the, the uh, original townsite
3: stone that's involved in the project as well, which I'd be happy to when you're ready to do that, Kurt.
0: Yeah, and I don't know how much time you need to do that. We're about uh, a little over two minutes from our next break, so. Um, but we can come back to that. Or we, if you want to start now, and I might have to jump in and interrupt, but uh, okay. go ahead and start on that if you'd like. So
3: after uh, my brief involvement with the project, I was just so captivated by the piece, seeing it in clay. I was so amazed. And uh, I got to thinking about it um that one of John Hayes' original stones just had to be incorporated into this project somehow. And we had our local um, section meeting of the Magic Valley section of the Idaho Society of Professional Land Surveyors. And I started asking all the gentlemen in attendance if any of them had ever recovered an original Hayes stone because I had recovered original Hayes stones, but in other towns, never never one in Twin Falls. And... uh, I said, you know, my idea here is that we go out as a section, as a community project, and recover the stone, remove it, re-monument it, file a form of perpetuation, and then, and then incorporate that stone in the project somehow. I didn't know how yet, but somehow. And uh, one of the gentlemen uh, was a very kind uh, gentleman named Roger Kruger, uh, stepped up and said, well, I can do you one better than that. There's one in my den and I will donate it to the project. And Roger had been involved in the project several years ago. Interestingly enough, uh, an intersection improvement that also has a clear line of sight to the statue's final location. Um, and they were monumenting that when they rebuilt the intersection. And it was a uh, steel vault lid with a, a brass cap inside and uh, full of concrete. Well, when they, they tipped it over with the loader, Roger noticed that the, Roger could see the bottom of the concrete when the, the monument box tipped over, and in the bottom of that concrete he saw an inverted cross. And he went to the hole and looked down in, and sure enough, there was the original stone that it had been poured over. Um, so the original stone was removed and in, in Roger's den, and he donated it to the project. And the stone now sits um, online uh, between the... The plumb bob on the sculpture and the original location of Maine and Shoshone. this stone was placed online at 66 feet. Oh, oh, excellent.
0: We need to go to break. I want to pick up on that when we come back. So let's take our second break, and we'll be right back.
2: 0387 or go to QuickState.com. that's q-u-i-k-s-t-a-k-e.com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today
4: whether well, cruising the strip at a 57 chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on americaswebradio.com.
2: Quickstakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quickstakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quickstakes. Did you know that quickstakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden steak. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Steaks, your bike friendly steak. You're listening to America's
4: Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
0: And we're back to continue our conversation uh, about the sculpture out in Twin Falls. You're and, listening um, to America's we Web Radio on or, the Americas uh, Broadcast us about Thank you for listening. ...of a, of a, or a section stone, and uh, you were talking about the where it being set online, and the last thing you said that it was 66 feet away, and our surveyor listeners will probably understand the significance of that, but share it anyway. Um,
3: we We wanted the stone to be um, to place some significance, aside from just being the stone, we wanted it to be significant to surveyors. And there was really no way to incorporate it into the base of the statue itself, so therefore it had to be removed, and the, um, we wanted it to be significant, so we chose the number 66 feet as being one chain in length, which would have been the unit of measurement uh, in use at the time of the original survey. Um, so, it, it kind of goes on from there and it gets, it's a little entertaining how it ended up uh, there. The, the project got pushed to the very brink of time limits and when I staked the pedestal base for that stone, the statue was actually in another state in Oregon at the foundry. So, I was on the phone with Dave uh, multiple times Trying to figure out just how far from the edge of the concrete pedestal where the statue would be placed, how far in was the plumb bob going to be, and was the statue even back together at this point, or was it still decapitated? No, it was still it was still being built. It was still in multiple pieces. So Dave is trying to get me a number, and he finally comes up with a number I'll never forget it because he gave it to me in inches, uh, but it was twenty and five sixteenths of an inch from the, the base, so I staked the concrete pedestal for the, the contractor and I told the contractor once you get this poured, don't set that stone until you call me and I'll help you make sure that it ends up where it belongs. Well in the end that never happened they just put it in the middle of the pedestal um, and uh, at this point uh, we still didn't have a statue, the statue was still in Oregon and uh, in the end, um, for historic preservation purposes, we went down and did a, a, a terrestrial LIDAR scan at a whole downtown commons with a focus on the statue. And uh, from that point cloud, I was able to determine that uh, um, that uh, cross in that stone ended up being within 11 hundredths of a foot for distance and 18 hundredths of a foot for line, which is absolutely amazing when you consider how it ended up being placed. Oh, absolutely.
0: And you know that the scanning I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah,
1: for for me at the foundry, I had to work at getting that plumb bob and the line plumb. And actually after I had visited with Tom, um, I I had to move that about five and a half inches. (laughs) And so when I went to place that, Um, I had a template and a broomstick at 5.30 in the morning, and uh, it was such a nip-and-tuck project in order to get it done for this huge dedication where a mayor and a senator spoke uh, at the dedication of the piece, and, and a skydagger came and flew in, and, and it was a it was a
3: big celebration, so we, we had a lot of pressure to get this done. And Dave was installing it that same day at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and,
1: and, and there were one and a quarter uh, stainless steel lags that were um, drilled into the concrete, so I had a hammer drill at 5.30 in the morning and a broomstick to try and determine... Um, that that line of uh, sixty-six feet, and that's how far we were. We are off, which um, we're, we're, we need to do some more projects together. I think. <laughs> <on that. laughs> I w- well,
0: actually, uh, Dave, I'm glad to hear you say that because as I was listening to Tom, I was just thinking in my mind about, you know, we surveyors do. Get a little anal sometimes about making sure everything's exactly where it's supposed to be. So my question to you was going to be, will you ever work with surveyors again? But I guess you answered that question. So
1: <laughs> I've loved every step of the way. It's been fascinating for me. So, but that that in and of itself was just incredible that it that it turned out the way it did. Um, it, knowing all that we know now and so so we we did we were able to accomplish it in time and and essentially we could that stone could be moved to where it it is dead on if if ever
3: need be but it's so close it's so close I don't think it
1: needs anything
3: well is better yeah well and up until this point it was really only you and I that knew (laughs) yeah you and I and Gavin Um, that there's another, the most amusing part of this entire project involved something that happened to Dave on his way from the foundry back to Twin Falls with the statue. And we talked about it at Dimensions, but it didn't get in Gavin's story. So no one, if they weren't at Dimensions, has really heard this yet. And I'd like to have Dave share this part of the story with you because it's absolutely hilarious. Okay. So so I, I was... Um,
1: Six and a half hours away at a foundry in Joseph, Oregon, and that is where the piece was foundered. And the, there's all kinds of interesting connections around that. But I had to sleeve it into. I, I built a platform above the wheel wells in my three quarter or my um, three F three fifty truck. So it's a one ton. It weighs about three thousand pounds. But the, the safest way to transport that in, in the timeline that we had was in a truck with that suspension, and um, and in order to do that, I had to angle it to get it in. But uh, I got it in the truck and secured uh, with the lag bolt and then strapped down. The best way to transport it was to not put anything on it. Um, The the surveyor and the instrument were completely separate in the bronze except for the, the the legs on that tripod, and it came within an eighth of an inch of his eye, and that needed to be just dead nuts on, for obvious reasons. I was working with surveyors, so. <laughs> but um, uh, so that transpired, and the only I had a little piece of cloth in between that when it was transported, just so it wouldn't ding back and forth. But otherwise, the the, the surveyor, this eight and a half foot surveyor, was above the wheel wells in the bed of my truck. And I was heading to Wallowa, and um, there was a a woman sheriff in the middle of the road on Main Street, and she's directing everybody off to the right. Well, I pulled up, and she just moved out of the way and waved me through. And I didn't know what was going on until um, I ended up behind a fire engine, and I had a bunch of horses behind me, and I realized I was in the Fourth of July parade. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and she thought I was intentionally supposed to be in there with this huge sculpture in the back of my truck and so I had <laughs> I, I had a moment of uh, I, I was, there was it was intense already just uh, the concern of, of transporting this sculpture for this big event but then I just had to relax and roll down my windows and uh, start waving and people were taking pictures so Um, John Hayes got to be in a parade. um, Well, I guess the
0: big question is, did you win prize for the best float?
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) I I wasn't able to stick around to find out. I was in a hurry, but it was fun because um, people were sitting down in somewhat lackadaisical and bored when the fire engine was coming by, and then I started going by, and people were standing up and clapping and taking pictures. So. (laughs) It was <laughs> rewarding, and that's um, pretty.
0: That's pretty funny. I
1: was heading down the interstate with that in the back of my truck, all uncovered, so you could see the whole thing. And I've got images of that on social media and things now, and the stories to go with it. But um, I, I, I was grateful for my defensive driving class because people were um, heading down the interstate with their. Uh, iphone or smartphone out there passenger window at seventy five miles an hour taking video of uh... and and so i had to swerve a few times to keep people from hitting me because a lot of times that was the driver taking the video too <laughs> <So>. yeah. <laughs> so. yeah well
0: it, I, I was gonna ask if you had to because of the the nature of everything if you had to drive slower than traffic but obviously you didn't if you were doing seventy five miles per hour so yeah.
1: It 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 actually held up well. I needed to clean off bugs, which I knew that was going to be the issue, but that was a lot better than having any material on the the piece. Uh, it needed to breathe. Uh, the patina was fresh, and that was the best way to to transport it. So yeah.
0: So at, that's that's a interesting topic you you just brought up. The fact that it needed to breathe. I, I'm curious about that. When you when you loaded it, was it I don't know, cured's probably not the right word, but apparently it still needed some um, uh, atmosphere or, or air around it or something. I, I'm just curious about that whole process. I mean, it's almost like it, it was curing along the way.
1: It, it actually was, Kurt. It was curing along the way. The, the patination process is uh, an incredible um Alchemy that happens with with a guy that I've worked for for fifteen year, or worked with for about fifteen years in at Valley Bronze, a man named Slim, and he does a wonderful job, and uh, he he gives me uh, fine details of instruction on how to um, curate the piece after it's been patinated, um, and and that is one of the things to just. Let it breathe. Let it breathe with the with the patina and the um, the sealer on it for uh, actually he felt like a few months before we actually um, did anything else with it. So um, it it tends to settle and evolve a little bit and change, and then and then it'll stabilize after a few months. The, the color right. on it. And the color turned out fascinating. It's it's sort of a turn-of-the-century copper look to it, which really I couldn't have chose anything better for even so many magical things happened that that just worked out incredibly well. And and that color worked out well uh, of the patination of the patina in that setting and uh, really reflected off a lot of the colors in the, the um, city hall building which it's in front of so oh
0: yeah that's excellent well we are 15 seconds away from our last break so i won't jump into anything further until we go take that break and then we'll come back and uh, spend our last sure. segment uh, finalizing sure it. so we'll be back soon
2: quick thanks or go to quickstate.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for QuickStakes today. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctors' Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Quickstakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quickstakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quickstakes. Did you know that Quickstakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quickstakes, your back-friendly stake. You're listening to America's
4: Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
0: Uh, you you guys were mentioning the, the beer leg aspect kind of at the end there, and we talked about it during the break. But um, And I think, Tom, you were saying that because that was the first thing I thought about was that that social media outlet that was called Beer Leg at one time. And, uh, and I don't know if you – you know, RPLS.com actually was started – by a young man in uh in oklahoma who who died very suddenly in his 30s i believe he was and then that came over to american surveyor magazine and um uh, and then somehow the the beer leg site and the the rpls site kind of got together and that's what we have now but uh that wasn't the beer leg you were talking about obviously <laughs> so you might want you might want to fill us in on that well dave dave was uh
3: highly entertained when uh uh, myself and my colleague, Bert Novak, uh, went out to Dave's studio while the piece was still in clay to give uh, Dave technical feedback. Um, my colleague, Bert, that's the first thing he said when he saw it, is, uh, look at the beer leg. And uh, that, and all the surveyor listeners on the call, uh, will know that, you know, when someone sets up an instrument and the instrument operator ends up having to straddle a leg all day, the the guy who set it up owes him a beer, and he call it a beer leg, and Dave thought that story was quite amusing. But it is 100% correct, because in the photograph, John Hayes is straddling a tripod leg. Right.
0: Interesting how things come together.
1: (laughs) It is, And, and from my eye, I had no idea what that was until Tom and Bert Walked into my studio, but uh, w- w- when they did, that that was fantastic to know. And I, l- I love that he had a beer leg because from an artistic standpoint, he he becomes part of that instrument or the tripod, and uh, they're they're overlapping. The other thing, um, Kurt, that I, I worked on this thing for a year, the large sculpture, and so the. Um, information that Tom and Bert uh, were able to feed me from a technical standpoint and just paying attention made a huge difference, and and some of them were gold mines to me. One of the things that I wanted from a sculptural standpoint is to have his opposite eye open, the eye that was not looking through the scope, but <clears throat> that had kept me up at night because I wanted it to be... Um, authentic and and believable and when Tom came in he told me that in order to keep from um, fatiguing his eye by closing it he keeps it open a lot of times so that from a sculptural standpoint uh, a sleeplessness standpoint and and, um, and and from a realistic standpoint was a gold mine to me um, because I'd walk in in the studio and say good morning john and i would leave the studio and say good night john and and uh sometimes when i couldn't sleep because uh, i wasn't sure if he could have both eyes open realistically i would end up saying at three in the morning you still up john because <laughs> so um uh, so yeah it was it was really fantastic having the surveyors tom gave me some other pointers that uh i um I played off of uh there's there's if you make it to Twin Falls, Idaho and look at the the uh the instrument, there is a ruby key on there um in the namesake of uh palm um, so
3: <laughs> <laughs> the ruby key when I was at the studio, I pointed out to him that the transit was missing the lower tangent screw. And I showed him, you know, it should look just like this other one over here, but it needs to be on this side. You just need to add one more. Well, when Dave cast the final piece, he added the lower tangent screw, but in in final in the final bronze, there's a lower tangent
0: screw, and it says Ruby on it. Oh, nice. Uh, that's pretty cool. You know, Dave, earlier when we first started talking, one of the questions I wanted to ask was one of the things that always amazes me about artwork and and surveyors, to some degree, have some amount of artistic abilities, which is just part of who we are. And back in the days when we drew our own maps, then even more so. Um, but um, it always astonishes me how people that are not surveyors, or, or whatever the topic may be, are able to do work like you do and capture the essence so well. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm hearing in your conversation that the ability to do that in this case was was certainly helped by talking with and and collaborating with with Tom and other folks. But you still have to be able to show it. You know, you can you can ha- you can have somebody tell you about it, but to have that ability to actually show it in your work is just amazing to me. Absolutely amazing.
1: Uh, thanks, Kurt. Uh, that that is one
0: thing that I encourage
1: everybody to do is to look at culture and look at the believability and the feeling of it. And so essentially having Tom and Bert come and assess the, the believability was extremely important. And it's silhouette, so I, I do feel like surveyors and artists have a lot in common because I'm, I'm looking at this thing from 360 degrees and I'm even sitting in a chair in my studio so I can see it from the perspective of it being on a pedestal of 18 inches. And so, and and I continued to turn it 360 degrees and look at it from different distances because essentially the silhouette has to be believable. And in order to make that believable, that's what it takes. And when anything looks out of place, I I think about, somebody's mother and how your mother can see you walking at a hundred yards and know that that's you because of your silhouette, because of the way you move, because of the way you walk. And so that's what I was after was would John's mother know that was him from a distance from a silhouette because uh, most everybody's mother just wouldn't naturally be able to say, oh, that's my son or that's my daughter. So, um, that, that's sort of what I go for, and within that, there's there's all kinds of liberties that um, you can you can take and play off of. And, and this piece has a, a ton of different things that I added, being flora, fauna, uh, local interests of, of artifacts that were found in the area, to um, the the wildlife and the critters that. Surveyors run into so there's a, a horned toad on there. There's the Idaho bluebird. Um, there's a kangaroo rat and uh, and then there's um, jackrabbit, jackrabbit uh, a rattlesnake, a sage hen nest, a, a sage hen nest. and there's eight eggs in there. So there's there's a plethora of discovery, and and I I use that to play off of. The the whole idea of a a surveyor is discovering. They're they're discovering a mark and a place. And so I thought that that, that's the beginning maybe of an artist and a surveyor is we like looking at things and discovering things and searching things out and um, finding out where they are and what they are.
0: Yeah, right. I, I, I say this on the show quite often, and it's sort of my mantra about who we are as surveyors. and And my definition is detective, puzzle worker, mind reader. Um, and so it, it's similar to to the nature of what, what you do, because you have to get into the head of the people who are going to see this and and pre- present something to them that that becomes believable and and accurate.
3: One of the things, Kurt, that I found most fascinating was when I started putting together the PowerPoint for presentation at Dimensions, um, Dave started sending me pictures uh, to include. And it, he, you know, when we sent in the the draft, it was all text and we hadn't put many pictures in. Well, Dave had a slide called Believable Anatomy. Um that was in the original draft and when he started sending me pictures i was i was uh blown away at the fact that that sculpture started as um it, it looks like an anatomical uh medical diagram of uh inner uh musculature uh you can see every muscle on the body Uh, when Dave started that, and it's all correct. I was amazed that it started with that level of
0: foundation. Yeah, that is amazing, absolutely. Well, we are at a point where we have about uh, three minutes left for our show, so I want to make sure that if there's anything else we need to chat about, we can do that. I do want to thank you both for joining me because at the end sometimes – we're in a rush to meet our deadline. <laughs> but uh, I was so thrilled when, when Gavin contacted me about this and, and said, hey, you, you really need to have this on the radio show. And, of course, what we try to do here is provide all different types of perspective and different types of elements that, uh, of the world as it is with, with our, our surveying uh, cohorts And uh, so this one really struck a a great note with me. So I'm just thrilled that you both have been able to join me today.
3: Well, and I would like to thank you for the opportunity. It's been such a fun project, and it's it's, uh, a project that you you never really tire of talking about because it's been such a fascinating journey.
1: Yeah, thank you, Kurt, so much for the opportunity. And I'd like to thank Gavin also for um, putting this together. Tom uh, was so excited about the story and contacted Gavin, and then it it went from there. And he eloquently put everything in order uh, that that makes sense in in a few different articles that are just fantastic. So uh, I, I, that is not my strong point is uh, organization. I, I can make. Uh, um, order out of clay, but not out of words, so I appreciate
0: Gavin for that. Yeah, D- Gavin's been a great friend for a really long time, and and particularly as it relates to the show. I mean, it's amazing how many people he has brought to me from all over the world really <laughs> to be part of the show. He's just been a, a great help in, in lots of different ways for making this show uh, continue on for as long as it has, and uh, I'm just thrilled that we were able to to have you guys on to talk about this project, and um, I'm hoping someday on my travels as I get out across the country, I'm going to have a chance to go by and take a look. Well, when you get to Twin Falls, give us a call. I will certainly do that, and uh, Dave, maybe we'll have a chance to meet somewhere along the line. I don't know if you're going to be involved with surveyors ever again, but uh, nonetheless, I'd, I'd really like to have a just a sit down conversation with you sometime.
1: Oh, I trust that's going to happen. Thanks, Kurt. I, I appreciate the opportunity. It's been fun visiting about the story.
0: Yeah, it's it's a great story to have told and such a a, a detailed project that, that has turned out really well. And and as we surveyors love to say, it, it was about history, and surveying is about history. So it's been great to have you both on the show today. Uh, thank you for taking time out of your, your busy schedule, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to meet sometime soon. Thank you,
1: Kurt. And could you put uh, Gavin's article, uh, a, a link to that, on, on here?
2: Yes, we can do that.
3: That,
2: that, yep. would,
1: that would give a summation of a, of a grand uh, um, informational point for, for the whole project. He, he did a okay. wonderful job of the, yep, I can do that. the history and the man and the art.
0: Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Kurt. Thank
2: 800-438-0387 or go to quickstate.com that's q-u-i-k-s-t-a-k-e dot com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today the
4: disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
2: Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is a town movers, Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally
1: satisfied.